This episode is sponsored by The International Educator. Many of you know part of my professional background is both in career development and education, which means I get a number of educators asking me how they can launch their careers abroad. If that's you, you need The International Educator, which connects English-speaking teachers with opportunities at international schools around the world. Not only do you find out about vacancies, but you get much-needed information on topics as varied as housing options, tax-free salaries, and professional development. And here's the thing. All subjects and grade levels are needed. For a limited time only, Thai is offering discounts on memberships for Global Chatter listeners. So visit ThaiOnline.com and use the promo code GLOBALCHATTER to save on your membership today. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. As you might know by now, I get really excited whenever I get Cameroonians on this show. Frankly, the guest doesn't even have to actually be Cameroonian, like Nita Ramkumar, who was on last season. They could have just lived there and I get excited. But why the excitement? I know it's because I love bringing different perspectives on this show, especially from those with an African identity. And as big, diverse, and vibrant as African perspectives can be, they are often still missing from expat conversations. Let's be honest for a moment. Africans are still rarely seen as expats in some spaces, especially compared to Westerners. So anytime I have the opportunity to have someone at the table with that identity, I'm pretty much game. Which leads me to Estelle Hughes. Estelle, as far as I'm concerned, is a total badass. She is Cameroonian, that much is true. She's also a former third culture kid, educator, mom, wife, artist, leader, and a fierce advocate for African teachers and expanding the possibilities of professional development across the continent. In this episode, Estelle shares her own experiences of attending international schools in the Congo Brazzaville and how those experiences would impact her as an international educator. She also shares her candid thoughts on what it means to be an African expat traveling on a less than privileged passport and the real impact it can have on life and professional choices. And she gives a glimpse of life with a South African husband and their TCKs that they've been raising abroad in Switzerland. It will be clear soon enough that Estelle is absolutely vibrant and charming. But beyond that, you will hear the conviction she has for inclusivity and cultural relevance, especially when it comes to the African voice. Welcome to the Global Chatter. So we're back with the latest episode of the Global Chatter. And as you've heard from the intro, you already have an idea of who my guest is today. I am pumped to have her on the show because she is someone I have wanted to talk to for a good amount of time. And it is, I, I think I found out about her over a year ago. And now that I finally got her on the show, I'm so excited. So Estelle, welcome to the Global Chatter Podcast. 
Thank you, Amanda. I'm so happy to be here with you today um, as a fellow uh, Cameroonian. <laughs> yes. I don't I don't have in my mind enough Cameroonians on the show. Here we go. <laughs> so, so there you go. I when I you know, when I found out about the work that you're doing, I immediately literally thought to myself, I need to find her. And so for those of you who don't know, uh, it's a bit of a, a quirky story, but there's an organization called the Association of International Educator Leaders, I guess, Educational Leaders of Color, Absolutely. ALOC. Yeah, okay. Kevin should be proud of me. I think I got that in the first, <laughs> in the first go. <laughs> but ALOC, if you are not aware, is an organization I feel I've talked about a little bit before, and, and I did do a quick episode with with. Kevin a few months ago, but it's really an organization that's that's really looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, belonging, all of those things within the international education community. And so I had the privilege uh, about a year ago to speak at his, at the conference virtually, and Estelle was also one of the one of the other speakers who was, I think about two or three people after me. Mm-hmm. And I was excited. I, first of all, she could have been talking about nothing, but the fact that she was Cameroonian. Go <laughs> I Cameroon. said, oh no, there's a Cameroonian. <laughs> that's all I that's all I was talking about in the chat, which is really <laughs> which was really sad. Like in the chat, I was like, there's a Cameroonian woo 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 <laughs> cheering it up. Yes. But, but then the work that she was presenting on, particularly looking at the experiences of African educators, especially when you put them in the international space, you know, I thought, okay, you're someone who needs to come on because whenever I talk about whether it's travel, immigration, expatriation, cross-cultural living, I will always argue there are not enough African voices yes. in the conversation. And we will agree. <laughs> I will <laughs> right? agree, definitely. And so having you is just I think for me, broadening the conversation because we we don't do it enough. And so thank you for coming on. And I there, there's a question I always start with, but actually I think I'm going to start with something different because it's you. So <laughs> I, yeah, don't be scared. No, thank you for having me. Here's the thing. In, pre- in preparation for this, so this is really for me. I don't even know if the audience <laughs> cares or not, <laughs> but in preparation for this, I found out that you sing. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't know you said, like, not that I didn't think you couldn't sing. It's just not, it didn't occur to me. And so you're part of a band, right? Or you have a singing group. I do. I do. Actually, this is a very old group that we created when we were studying, my husband and I, in the south of France. And uh-huh. uh, so many years uh, after, it's still alive. <laughs> Oh my God, how long has the group been around? Oh, okay. So I said that's when I was studying. So right now I'm going to be revealing how ancient I am. Well, Puzzle Shock was created over 20 years ago in the south of France. (laughs) How would you describe the type of music you guys made? Basically, a little bit of Conrad, who is, um, you know, uh, South African, and a little bit of me from Cameroon, and a little bit Mm -hmm. of our international rock culture. Uh, It's a very intercultural band, Pusoshok, with uh, African sounds mixed with sounds from the rest of the world. You know what? And I think that's a really good description of even kind of the work (laughs) that you do. 
do, right? Wouldn't you say? Just a, there, there's the identity that you bring from your Cameroonian West Central African perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and then, of course, with your partner, with his perspective, and then the places you've been. I mean, I think that that's, <laughs> that probably already tells people what's been influencing kind of how you do the work that you do. And so with, with that, you let, uh, this is the question I always start with is, so where in the world are you today? So where are you currently residing? Well, currently I am in Switzerland, Geneva, in a beautiful part of the city and the, and the outskirt where the vineyards are. Oh my goodness. Okay. When this is done, I would like to see a picture. <laughs> Definitely. Feel- <laughs> it's, a, it's a place in Geneva called Dardany and you can see the mountains. Uh, and oh. just outside our windows, we've got beautiful vineyards and we can actually drink the wine f- that's made uh, in our neighborhood. It's fantastic. Okay. So... so- or I already want that life, but we're not. <laughs> this is not about. Me. Oh, please come, come visit, come visit, Amanda. This is the problem when I start talking to y'all is that many of you are in places I want to go, but the thing is, the problem is you're all global nomads, <laughs> so I have to go before you leave. You do have a window of opportunity. <laughs> I have a- so it, for for those who don't know, um, Estelle is in Geneva, but there is there is a time date on it. There is an end date because exactly. she will be returning to the continent and will be heading to Dakar, Senegal, which we'll talk about in a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of your work. But yeah, no, I, you know, I've looked, I have how many... Okay, I can make this work. Yes. I have enough money. Yes, I yes, can make yes. this work. Some somehow somewhere <laughs> I'm going to get to I really want a proper trip to Switzerland. If you are there, I know I will get a proper trip. What is what is great about Switzerland? It's that it's beautiful in winter. This the yes. yes. And for me to say so, it has to be extra beautiful because I hate the cold. <laughs> same, same. Sub-Saharan Africa, same. Still majestic, <laughs> the mountains, the Alps, the horizon. Uh, the sunset's just gorgeous. And it's obviously beautiful in summer as well in this part with the lake. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a beautiful place to be. How long have you been in, in Geneva? I We landed in Geneva in 2005, uh, so quite a while ago. And uh, we were coming here for a couple of years because that's what we had been doing as international educators. And dial... <laughs> 17 years ago after we wow. are still here mm-hmm. it says a lot <laughs> and so let's this is a really good starting point because i i want to actually kind of back up from where you are now and kind of start with where you started mm-hmm. where you began and so obviously listening to this folks know that you, you are, are cameroonian, cameroonian. yes proudly so I always explain where Cameroon is. If you don't know where it is, it's to the east of Nigeria. That's the exactly <laughs> Gulf of Guinea. <laughs> there you go. It's like we could do it. I always say, you know, the fat part of Africa and then the long part meet that corner. Yes. That's also Cameroon. <laughs> Sometimes I also know. say it's Africa upside down. Have you noticed the shape of uh, Cameroon? And you know uh-huh. what? And then it's okay. also Africa uh, in en miniature, they say in French, that all of the I know, but we, different landscapes. They say that, it, mm-hmm. they, they say that in English too. I, my mother says that to be honest, my mom. So when you said it, I was like, this is a very Cameroonian thing. Mm-hmm. Cameroon, center of the world, right? <laughs> yes. 
I mean, when you visit, don't hold us to it, but it, 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 it's, there's a little bit of everything as yes, far as Africa is absolutely. concerned, I think, in, in, in Cameroon. So how, so tell me in terms of your childhood, did you grow up predominantly in Cameroon or did you move somewhere else? Mm. I, I was born in Yaoundé, Cameroon, uh, where I grew up for 10 years. So I went to preschool and school there. Then we moved to Brazzaville, Congo. Uh, where mm-hmm. I studied up to the year of baccalauréat. I went to the French school there in, in Brazzaville. And after that, I moved to France where I studied uh, before starting the international education career. And so what what moved your family to Congo? My dad, my dad's job, my dad was an international, is an international banker, was was because he's retired now. So my daddy was posted in Brazzaville at the Banque de Développement des États de l'Afrique Centrale. I don't know what is the equivalent in English. Uh, he represented... I mean, I understood. Yeah. I don't know about anybody else, but I... <laughs> Yeah, there'll be a little bit of exotic French in this episode. Doesn't hurt, does it? So uh, my dad was representing Cameroon in this in this organization. So as a diplomat, uh, that's how we got mm-hmm. to to move. And I took the plane for the first time. I was nine, I think, uh, to go to Brazzaville. Very exciting. So my story is my family is anglophone. Okay, and and my my parents. So they had. They had moved to the U.S. I was born in the U.S., clear this accent, right? I've always had it. And then when I was nine, <laughs> they moved to Yaoundé. Oh, wow. So I lived in Yaoundé. <laughs> I left the leaving. spot I, and you, 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 I, you took it. <laughs> Fantastic. I have no idea how old you are, but by doing the math in my head, I think we're sim- really close in age. Like I uh, moved you probably, to Yaoundé. You're probably younger than I am. <laughs> I mm, don't be fooled. Black don't crack. Like, yeah, you know what? And and I don't mind. You see, this is one thing about African culture that I love. We are okay with aging. Yeah, it, right. It's right. No, but it's funny. So I moved to Yaoundé when I. So when my family was nine, they decided to move. They decided to return. I had never lived right because mm-hmm. I'd been raised in the U.S. up until that point. Now they had almost always lived in the English part but they decided to move to Yaoundé. And so I lived in Yaoundé for my, you know, what we call in the American system, middle and high school years. Mm-hmm. And so you were going to the French school. I was going to the American school. Okay. All <laughs> the right. Same time. Yeah. Lots of similarities then, there. Right. And then I left to come back to the States for university and you went to France. See, look, this was meant to be. <laughs> Parallel journey. <laughs> Exactly. So here's here's what I what I, I am very interested, in, especially as someone who spent their early years in Cameroon and moved to Congo. I've asked this question before of other African TCKs. So I'm curious to hear your experiences, because I don't think we also talk about Africans who move to other African countries. Right. We think about people moving to the West and other places. But for you, what was what was the experience going from Cameroon to Congo? Was it similar? Were you still was there an out, you know, were you an outsider? Like what was it? Because you were a third yeah, culture I kid. Yeah, I never I never ever in my life realized that I was a TCK. <laughs> I was just that right. girl until I say it. <laughs> I say it to Africans all the time. I'm like you were a What's TCK that? and they're like, like you're right. I'm like 
it was you. You you are the example. So yeah, what was it awesome. like for you? I'm, I'm so grateful to have had this experience of moving to another African country. If it, it was really a defining moment. Uh, remember this this uh, um, experience talking to a Congolese girl my age, a friend, and telling her, you've got this Congolese accent. And she said, oh, your Cameroonian accent is also very strong. And I said, no, I don't have an accent. And she just burst out, <laughs> just burst out laughing. And I, that was the first time I right? realized that I could be the other as well. I never, I, I just referred to mm. myself as, you know, that I was, re, I was representing norm, normality. This is a, a phenomenon that Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie describes in Americana when she says before moving to the right. States, she was just a human being. She wasn't black. Before moving to the Congo, I was just a girl. I wasn't Cameroonian, but I became Cameroonian by moving mm -hmm. to Brazzaville. It was a very interesting experience mm -hmm. because I also went to the French school. And there were quite a few French people there, African students with French accents. So I, mm. I got, mm. I, I developed a French accent um, spontaneously. Mm -hmm. So I was juggling between these, mm -hmm. these three accents, the Cameroonian accent, the Congolese accent that I could mimic when I was going to church with, with, with Congolese people and the French accent that I had at school. So sometimes I was literally in front of my mirror um, trying different accents and asking myself, where is the real Estelle? And it's a beautiful experience to have as a child because it's the first global citizenship education that we come across as, as GCE, uh, uh, GCK, sorry. Yeah, no, I, it's interesting, you know, listening to you speak because, you know, I've always, the things you've mentioned, I've thought about from a, from an American, from an English speaking space. But, you know, having, for the fact that you went to a French international school, mm -hmm. you know, did you find it, did you find it easier to blend in or was there still challenges coming from somewhere else? It was very challenging. First of all, very, very strange to, ha to have so many white people in the school. I grew up in a Cameroonian school. Everybody was black and the white people were albino, albinos. So um, yeah. I wasn't used to that at all. And I did develop a, um, an inferiority complex, I have to say. Yeah. I did feel inferior as an African. Uh, and manifested it in all sorts of ways, I had difficulty really belonging in that space. It took many, many years before finding my feet and and feeling that I was, you know, that cool little girl I was in the play, on the playground in Yaoundé. It was tough. Did you have, um, from an educational standpoint, did you have any Black teachers or professors while you were at the French school? Mm, let me think. We had a PE teacher who was, I think, either from Chad or uh, Burkina Faso, Monsieur Tetimion. He was loved by the students, a lovely man. He was the only one. All the other black mm. people were, uh, um, you know, the door people, the cleaners. So this, and, and also the fact that 
there was literally no African topics in the curriculum, literature, mm. history. I remember actually being in the in the history class and the teacher talking about the, the Hundred Years' War between the British and the French and feeling so happy that the French won. I was like, yes. And this moment, there was like, a voice in my head telling me, mm-hmm. why, why, why are you so happy that the French won? You're not even French. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't really listen to that voice. Um, this, these are things that I think about now, but they were pretty unconscious at that time. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you hit on some of the things that I talked about when I spoke at ALOC is that, you know, I too was at an international school international schools in sub-Saharan Africa Mm -hmm. and how, unless there is an intentionality by the teacher and the administration, it is shocking how, at least for those of us, and we admittedly, I hope things have changed a little bit more in international schools, but at least back then you didn't necessarily get the history or the literature of the country you were living in, which is completely shocking. Yeah. (laughs) Because you know, if you were in France, you definitely get French history, right? But to be in Congo and not get a little bit of the Congolese story, mm-hmm. you know, and I could say, you know, for me, not to get not to get a whole lot of the Cameroonian story mm-hmm. is kind of ridiculous. How is it for you in your school? Did you get some Cameroonian literature, history perspectives? Uh, so I would say history, no. Mm-hmm. Um, what I did get was the English teacher who took on literature and really made world literature, world literature. Hmm. And, and she incorporated a significant amount of African literature into what we were studying. So she, you know, there were names that we knew, um, unfortunately now, Mm -hmm. because it was English literature we did not get maybe Cameroonian English writers, mm-hmm. but we did get West African. So there, there was at least a conscious, this is where we are in the world. Oh, right? you, you were much luckier than I was. <laughs> I, I know. I was like, because at least I know the names and I know the works and I've read them and I read them young. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you are right. Like, But in terms of history and, and sort of like how these countries even came to be, you know, who, to talk about colonialism in the former colony though yeah yeah absolutely i mean <laughs> they they genuinely these these international schools on the african continent i, I think it was a, a a phenomenon that that was observable throughout they really starved african children of african culture they really uprooted us from 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 african cultures and i'm, I'm very very curious to know how it is now i wouldn't really be able to say but i suspect that it's probably better i hope in any case, this is a very clear concern of mine as, uh, <laughs> as I'm, I'm moving on to, to Senegal. This is something that I really want to, you know, develop in the school I'll be leading. So, you know, obviously you, you went to the French International School and then you, you moved to France for university. Is that correct? I did. Okay. So I, I'm re- I really want to hear your perspective because I, I have my own stories and people have heard it ad nauseum. So they don't know. To, they don't need to hear me. Okay. Leaving Congo. Mm-hmm. Right. So you lived in Cameroon, predominantly black. 
lived in Congo, predominantly black, but you were in an international school. Mm-hmm. How prepared did you feel transitioning living in France for the first time? It was a bit of a strange experience because I was, I didn't go to university straight away. I went to something called class préparatoire. Mm-hmm. And um, seriously, I felt that I didn't really experience a cultural shock in the sense that, you know, I was going from a French school to another French school. The curriculum was similar. Uh, my higher level subjects were ancient Greek and Latin. My plan was to become a Latin teacher. (laughs) And then I started uh, meeting African, um, uh, um, African communities in the south of France in Montpellier. I was adopted by the Senegalese community. And I learned to eat and cook yassa and mafe, chakri and all of that. And all of a sudden, I wasn't interest, so interested anymore about, uh, you know, becoming a Latin teacher. I integrated a, um, a gospel choir, Kumbaya gospel choir. And in a way, my most African experience happened in France much more than in Brazzaville. In Brazzaville, I was in that bubble, which was very French. And in France, I actually got to become more immersed in in new African cultures I didn't know about, Moroccan, um, Senegalese, Mm -hmm. as I said. Uh, I met uh, um, Cameroonian communities as well. So there wasn't that feeling of, of, of newness that I would have expected living, living Brazzaville. I kind of found myself there more than anything else. Interesting, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I, I think what it seems to help was that because you had that transitional time mm-hmm. and you had communities, because I, I think that's the challenge for most of us, right? Is that when we go somewhere, if we were not familiar and we don't have people who are kind of support, then it's hard. But it seems like that, honestly, before you went, you kind of got an, you got an education before you got an mm-hmm. education. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It does. It does. Yeah. Absolutely. So what part of France were you in predominantly during this period? I was in the south of France in a city called Montpellier. It's a very vibrant, yeah, very vibrant place, culturally alive. I would say it's the gospel music hub of France. It's incredible how many (laughs) gospel choirs, quartets, duos, you can duets you can find in this part of France up to today, up to this day. It's it's a very, very artistic place. I was lucky to study there. And that's how I started um, a band with, with, with my, my soon, my future husband, Conrad, uh, whom I met uh, at the university. I was in this gospel music scene. And then he gave me a cassette. You remember these things? Cassettes? (laughs) No, I do remember them. (laughs) (laughs) He gave me a cassette with his music and I put the music on and I was like, oh my goodness, this is white people's music. (laughs) I can't sing this. (laughs) And then he kept coming and asking, have you listened to the music? I didn't know how to to bring it to him that that I didn't do white people's music. And and one day I just started, you know, singing to the music that he had created and it just came totally <laughs> oh naturally. <my> <laughs> That's how the band was born. 
in that way, that that sense, that was also a very, you know, opening experience culturally speaking. So I owe a lot to France. <laughs> <laughs> now, is was your husband French speaking prior to? No. Well, he he had taken French at school. He was educated mm -hmm. in in Eswatini in in uh, UWC United World College there, yeah. uh Waterford Kamklaba. And very interestingly, unlike his friends who went to the UK or the US, he decided that he would study in the south of France. And I often huh. tell him, "You were you were looking for me, weren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> because that, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. But um, he was—he's always been someone who was really interested in, in in new cultures. He was fascinated by France thanks to a teacher he had actually, who inspired him to love the culture. So he came to that part of the world, and voila, here he is. Is he? I'm, I'm assuming he's—is he fluent at this point? Oh yes, yes. We we met in French. So right, okay. that's really really fascinating because our children go to an international school, the International School of Geneva, uh, yeah. and um, that school turned them into anglophones. I like to say you you give francophone students to these international schools and they turn them into anglophones. So, <laughs> but between my, Conrad and myself, we speak French most of the time. But our children respond in English, but they understand <laughs> French. Yeah, no, what a family. And, <laughs> and his and his mother is his mother tongue English or something else? It's English. But okay. our but lingua franca between the two of us is is French. Is French. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, you just have wonderfully by by uh what is it? Bilingual bilingual, bilingual children. Yeah. Yes, yes. I wish they 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 would have been you know, trilingual with the African languages as well, because I'm also a product of, of uh, you know, this period when African parents didn't speak their own language to Same. their children. And I had, yeah, I had to basically, you know, um, concentrate on my, on my memory to get all that I could uh, uh, of my, of my own language with willpower because yeah at home it was often french yeah my my sister is so my parents were two different tribes so they didn't speak their tribal languages to each other but my sister is my parents are now divorced but my sister is fluent like she my older sister so she can speak literally the mother tongue my mom's brilliant tribal language but uh i am not you I know that that's, that's a very very fascinating phenomenon in my family there's six of us six siblings three three boys three girls my mom was uh, all about symmetry <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> and um i think uh, three of us speak the language quite comfortably <laughs> and three and three if you don't. not a word <laughs> As it should. Same, no. same parents, <laughs> same upbringing. I don't know. And yeah, why? Well, well, this is a great break. We're we're gonna take a break so that we can run some commercials. But here's the thing: when we come back, though, mm -hmm. I want to talk about how you got into your career, which both of you and your husband seem to be both in education, and how it has impacted the work that you're doing now, which I think is really cool. So, meet us after the break. Thank you. This message comes from one of our affiliate partners, FlexJobs. 
FluxJobs has 100% verified job listings, career experts, and resume help. They've helped people find great remote jobs since 2007. If you are looking for your next remote opportunity and want to save up to 30% when you sign up for a membership, visit theblackexpat.com forward slash codes to learn more. All right, so we're back from break. And if you remember, we kind of left off uh, about to start talking about how Estelle got into her career. She mentioned she thought she was going to teach Latin. Yes. <laughs> and, but, but, but here, here's the thing. She's, she, you did stay in education. So it's not, it's not like you completely ran off and, and did some <laughs> other things that people I've had. Um, how did you make the transition into international education, which is where I think most people know you from? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I knew that I wanted to be in education from a very young age, and I knew that I loved Latin and English, but I wouldn't have acknowledged it at, at any cost in front of friends because, you know, you're a teenager. What do you want to be when, you, when you're older? I want to be a teacher. No, that doesn't work. So <laughs> that was my secret. I just kept it to myself. But it was a no-brainer that I wanted to, uh, to be a teacher. Uh, so I studied in this uh, class préparatoire. It's called in French, which is um, a very literary and very um, academic system preparing you to integrate these very prestigious schools in Paris, École Normale Supérieure, etc., Sciences Po. Uh, but I never integrated the school. Instead, I went to university. Um, so in these two first years, it was ancient Greek, Latin, philosophy, history, languages, very, liter- very literary. So um, my idea was maybe... I would pick one of these subjects and teach it uh, in France, who knows, or or go back to Cameroon. Uh, Then I realized that as a Cameroonian, I was not allowed to teach in the French system. I I could take the exam, but I wasn't going to be integrated into the system. I was like, why take the exam then? (laughs) You know, so I wound up... (laughs) Yeah. Let me let me ask a question because you can see my face. My face. <laughs> um, I know. Not being able to get an opportunity was that only towards foreigners? Was that towards Africans? Was that what? Like, what was the? I think um, probably towards certain nations. I never really investigated that. I also found that when I was studying that if I integrated the Grand École, I would have to pay for it when all of my classmates were, were going to be, you know, spontaneously <laughs> uh, access to, to scholarships to, to the Grand École. So, you know, you feel, I, I, that, that feeling of isolation was very deep in, um, in, in class préparatoire, much deeper than when I was uh, studying in Brazzaville, where, you know, as time went, I was getting, I was making friends. I, I was getting closer. Some, some of the friends I still have today, and I, and I'm very proud to to call my friends. But in um, in Montpellier, in my um, boarding school. I was the only black girl there studying Latin and ancient Greek and what have you. And I also discovered that 
I wasn't going to get, you know, the same ride as, as my, my fellow uh, students. So I started wondering what I was going to do with my life. And when I met, uh, when I met Conrad and we started, you know, uh, playing music the project changed we were going to become rock stars now you know <laughs> from that gospel tape though <laughs> <laughs> no it was a okay. rock tape it was a rock tape okay okay sorry follow from follow amanda <laughs> on the ball on the ball <laughs> sorry from the rock tape though yeah okay. from the, no the rock tape was amazing you know it, it made me change my whole musical perspective and i'm still benefiting from the impact right now oh <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Uh, how did we start in international education? I think it was more Conrad's influence because he was coming from the UWC scene and mm-hmm. um, it was quite spontaneous uh, for him to go back to that type of scene. That's what, where his network was. So we went to a UWC school in India, Mahindra United Ball College, and that's when I thought this was what I was meant to do. Uh, a really, really fantastic moment, a defining moment in my life, landing in India, something I will never forget. You know, and and here's the thing is that, I mean, it makes sense. Both of you, so your husband attending UWC, and, you know, for those of you who don't know, you've already alluded and said it, United World Colleges, boarding schools around the world, very much an there's a international perspective to everything that they do. And then you going to the French school, both of you were third culture kids. So it, yes. it makes sense whether, it, you know, and once again, this language, and I, I I put myself in this, but this language of being a third culture kid and these experiences, you didn't hear them as much in, you know, the times that we were coming up in school, but it makes sense that you would go back and work with those same kids right? Who had some of the, I mean, they may not necessarily look like you always, but who had some of the same cultural experiences. You, you touched on something. Um, I would love for you to get your perspective on. And, and it was even, you know, as a, you're building out this career as an international educator, but I remember your presentation from ALOC where you talked about the challenges that African educators in particular have on the international school scene. And I I bring that up even thinking about the fact that you were looking at an opportunity in France and then all of a sudden it was A, the opportunity would not be available to you and B, B, there would be no funding (laughs) if you decided to go on with this thing, right? What have you seen, like for people who don't know, um, and I think this is a great platform for this, just in the work that you've done, because you've been in several countries and worked around the world, what are the challenges that African educators face when they are working in international schools or trying to even get into international schools? I think the first, the very first one is our passport. You can, uh, you have much more access if you have with your African passport, another nationality, it opens doors. I'm 100% Cameroonian. I don't have another nationality. And it's about getting visas. I've had to stay back in India, for example, when we were moving on to the Netherlands. I had to stay back in India because I wasn't given the visa. 
to follow Conrad to the Netherlands. Wow. Um, and and this, this, this experience was constant. I would go to professional development with a, fre- a friend with a French passport in Lebanon, and she would go through the, 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 the border, no problem, and they would keep me back, you know, for hours asking me, why are you coming here? What's your business here, etc.? When are you leaving? Um, so that, that has been a clear challenge for me. People who recruited me, truly wanted to have me in their school because I'm clearly not an easy passport to invite. And many, uh, many times, in many instances, I was invited to lead workshops in European countries and they just denied me the visa. So they had to cancel the workshop. So this is a big, big challenge for uh, teachers, educators with African passports. Then um, so you would think that, for example, being married to someone who has a European pas- passport mitigates it only to a certain extent. But I'm mm. also uh, aware of the fact that this privilege does exist for me. The fact that my pa- my husband's passport has opened doors for me, but it hasn't been enough of a privilege, for example, to uh, to allow me to access some some of uh, some of the opportunities that were given to me. Uh, I wasn't able to uh, to access because of my of my passport. Then you also have the issue of you know the 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 native speaker issue whether right. or not you come from a country where english is spoken as an african you are often not considered native speaker and this is a discussion that is hot at the moment uh, right. in international <laughs> education and things are changing uh, but it's a, a lot of schools are very reluctant to they will change it on paper but men- mentalities take time to evolve okay now i know i opened a whole box when i asked that question yeah, so now, now 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 i got now i got a bunch of follow ups okay Always the fun thing about this podcast is that nobody can see my facial expressions, but the people who know me know I react. Yes, to the cra- I always react to the crazy stuff. I'm like, I confirm <laughs> that. <laughs> my face was like, oh, really? What? Is this happening? But that was all happening. So that's the, if you didn't see my face, it's, Estelle's the only one, you know what happened. Okay, so let's back it up. What kind of passport does your husband have? Well, my husband has got two passports, a South African passport and a British passport. And guess which one helps him the most? (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Brexit is... (laughs) is Yeah, (laughs) things have just changed recently. Things have changed, though, haven't they? (laughs) And that's so funny because deep down inside, I mean... I could say that that my my husband has got uh, he's got he's got a British heritage for sure, and your identity is multiple. But if you ask him spontaneously, where do you come from? It's like South Africa, East Africa <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay, so the British passport did he have a did he have a parent or was it how, how did he get? Oh yeah, yeah. How yeah, did he acquire the British passport? Basically, yeah, by but through through his parents definitely. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the South Africa, but he also was raised in South Africa. Correct? He was born in South Africa. He grew up there, uh, but was um, moved to Eswatini, then for Swaziland then for, for yeah. schooling. Cool. Was- okay. So here's my question. I have wondered this. So this is perfect. You are the perfect person to answer this question. It's random as hell. But okay, let's but go. Let's I- go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So is there a privilege? With him having a South African passport as a white 
male? Um, a South African passport, I have to say, opens more doors than a um, a Cameroonian passport. Oh, we, madam, we know as, this one. <laughs> as a whole, as a whole, for example, right. my kids have been able to go with their dad to Ireland. I was I, I wasn't coming because I wasn't interested in trying to get that the visa. <laughs> Without without having to have a visa, yeah. Is there an additional privilege of being a white person with that passport? I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. The thing is, we travel very little apart from going back to Cameroon and going going back to South Africa. And when we go to South Africa, we obviously use his South African passport, <laughs> no visa paid. Um, right. And there, at the airport, for example... Um, I haven't witnessed um, any different treatment for him okay. as a as a white South African. What I have seen, though, is in other parts of Africa, when we travel together, um, him being allowed to leave the airport and not me. Uh, okay. And I'm like, you're going to just stay here. You're not going and visiting the city without <laughs> me. We're just going to suffer together. <laughs> He's okay with that. <laughs> um, or the, the, the obvious thing of, of uh, and that very interestingly never happens in South Africa. It has happened in other places that we were in a queue and he's been asked to just, you know, jump the queue, jump the queue, come here, you white man, you cannot wait, you know, jump the queue. <laughs> Like, can I bring my whole family and, with and me? It, you know? <laughs> and it's no, he just doesn't do it, you know? <laughs> So, okay. So then in terms of your children, then what passports do they have? They have South African passports. So okay. we've got South African kids, which is very interesting because sometimes you travel, you've got Conrad with his British passport, passport. me with my Cameroonian <laughs> passport and my kids with the South African passports. And they're like, did you adopt them? No. Look at their faces. You know, my daughter <laughs> I, looks I, exactly I, like her father. My son looks like child. me. They like are mine. <laughs> Don't you there? Do not, deny me. <laughs> Do not deny my motherhood, please. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, I, that was a detour. But you know what's really funny is that the very first—I feel like the very first episode of this podcast ever—I mm -hmm. had asked that question. I—I I asked it out loud. I was like, I was actually curious if there's a privilege to having if if you are white with a South African passport going oh, sure. especially especially if you're going west right i was just curious so i feel like you've shine a little bit of a light <laughs> on stuff because i, I just wondered your passport is your passport i feel um when you're traveling and asking for visas etc however when you land that's mm. when you know the 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 facial privilege can can intervene mm. you know and and looking black and looking white is just does have an impact in the world we live mm -hmm. in doesn't it yeah mm -hmm. it does come with privilege you you hit on two things when i in the earlier question i asked i think it's very important for people to hear and understand the fact that you've had work interrupted and or not happen because you didn't have access because of your passport which is not surprising, but it's still horrifying every time I hear. Like I've heard this for years, but it it still catches me off guard. Like we're still doing this. But the other part, and I and and as you said, is the debate that's going on in international schools is what does it mean to be a native speaker? Because 
<laughs> you, that, you remember when we were talking about colonization earlier? <laughs> oh, let's be honest. Americans being native speakers? They we are. Were, they are. We were, and we Kenyans were British col- are and Nigerians are. You we know? were all British colonies, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So for those who don't who don't quite understand, I, I know where you're going with this and I know what you're talking about. Kind of unpack what it means when we're seeing this in international schools. Like, what does it mean when an employer is asking for a native speaker? Wink, wink. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just going to talk about about my experience and what what I've seen. For example, I have a colleague, I had a colleague in one of the schools I taught at who had a very strong Indian accent and students would actually go and complain to management about her accent, uh, saying we can't understand what she says, etc. And um, and the management would, would obviously say, well, you know what, you need to get used to the accent because that's the accent that she has, full stop, you know. But that 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 people think parents, students thought that it was okay to go and complain about someone's accent uh, it speaks speaks volume. And that still happens uh, in, um, in international education. A native speaker now is, is like around the whole, it's something that has a center of a whole debate. And the idea is basically to understand that people who have been speaking English since, you know, since when they were small, um, well, basically, and even if they're speaking, they speak all the languages, basically they are native speakers of English. But what is this business of native speaker? I mean, I'm a teacher of English literature and my first language is French. And I've had, you know, students getting the highest mark in the IB, even though they're taught by a francophone, Cameroonian lady. So we need to stop that. We need to focus on people's skills, whether they were speaking English 10 years old, three years old, 27 years old, what are the skills that you actually need? And if the person has them, let's go. Do you think this gatekeeping is partially to basically say we are trying to attract Western I don't know, Western trained, Western educated, Westerner educators to a school. And if that's the case, do you think that maybe, and it's interesting because you gave that example, is some of the pushback coming from parents who expect because it's an international school, they don't necessarily want, they want teachers from certain places, but they do not want teachers from other places. Let me put it that way. Absolutely. I've had conversations with uh, heads of schools in, in, my, in my work with, with my NGO Africa Learning International, where I heard all sorts of interesting things like my parents here are not paying so much money to hear African accents. I'm like, are you serious? And the person in war is actually damn serious. Um, <laughs> of course they were. <laughs> Wow. We've got we've got a lot of self-hatred, embedded self-hatred, uh, inferiority complexes that are, you know, uh, in stopping us from from really uh, soaring to our potential. And there's this 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 uh, culture of scarcity, actually, that contributes to us being scared of opening the gate. Well, if everybody has access, there'll be less for me, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and the idea. 
people need to to understand that there's enough space around the table for everybody to access because as international education is growing at the rate it's growing today we'll need more and more teachers with an international outlook there is space for everybody let's just all relax (laughs) i mean and this has always been my challenge is that if you're an international school you want it to be as diverse as it can be because these students are going all over the world, right? Where they're going to continue their education, whether they stay in the region, whether they go to Europe or North America or to Africa, to Asia, Australia, or South America. And so what are we saying if we are not preparing them for the world we're in, because it, let's say you even go into business, right? So you have a student you work with now that goes into business after university. Yeah, it's a it's a very yeah. it's it's a very complex question because on the one hand you've got these traditional international schools that are typically expats and uh, and able to recruit a very diverse workforce and. They, they might or might not choose to be as diverse as they can be, um, depending on, on their philosophy. Mm-hmm. Then you also have a new type of international schools that are, that are you know, more um, rooted in, in the local culture, where there, there is less access to an international uh, labor force, and the teachers are from the actual country where the school is. And I want people to change their approach to diversity, taking into account these different contexts. Diversity for me is first and foremost cultural. In an international school based in Cameroon, for example, with lots of Cameroonian teachers, yes, it's good to have access to someone from a European and Asian country. It brings a lot of of of, uh, of cultural wealth. But if that's not affordable for the school, the the African diversity within that school, how is it leveraged? How Pan-African are we, for example? How can we, we, there's a lot that we can, that we can leverage that is just isn't leveraged because we have a very limited definition of what diversity is. It's not only visible, diversity is cultural, diversity is about a posture in education as well, you know, so we need to enrich our definition of diversity to fit all of these different contexts. That is such a great concept and a great way of thinking about things, like even that Pan-African model, right? That, like you said, it doesn't have to be visually different, but it can be culturally different, right? And and having, even recognizing the the achievements and what teachers from different African continents can bring, even if they are all black and brown, right? And not just assuming that, okay, well, the school has more, let's be honest, more European looking folks. <laughs> Therefore, it's absolutely, better, absolutely. which is not necessarily true. <laughs> that's why. That's why we really have to indigenize more than internationalize. Because if everybody is going to their true indigenous roots, there mm-hmm. is bound to be diversity. Really, mm-hmm. in in the schools we're talking about. So let me let me ask you. I, I want to pivot a little bit about this because I, I know you've been talking about this 
for a while. You've done presentations. You've done consulting on this. Um, in terms of your consulting work, where where do you really put your efforts towards? So if a school or if someone is coming you to come and speak and talk, where are the areas that you're really trying to get the organization to look into? What are they calling you for? Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's an excellent question. I work a lot with uh, schools on the African continent uh, that are in the private sector, not necessarily international, but who are suffering from the scarcity of professional development. Uh, mm. So I, I am able with these type of schools to, um, to support them with recent research and in the process learn more about, you know, how they work, their, their conditions, etc. So it's, I, I really do see it as, as, as my way to come close to the African continent I've, be, I've been missing for so long bringing what I've got and receiving what the teachers, educators, school leaders have to offer. Um, I also work with international schools, and this is mostly DIJ work, focus on culture. This course twice, teaching with, um, in, with inclusion of culture embedded that I deliver together with uh, Estelle Bunya-Fomedjou, who's also Cameroonian, who's also called Estelle. <laughs> I only work with Estelles. Of course. <laughs> and, and you all, only work with Cameroonians. And ca- Cameroonians all Cameroonians. Well. <laughs> no, that's, that's a joke, obviously. So that course really refocuses us on, um, on culture, the importance of culture, how we need to think twice about culture when teaching. The first thing we need to do is look in the mirror at ourselves, see how where we stand reflects a cultural posture. You know, there is no educational posture that doesn't have a cultural dimension. There is no truth. You teach the way you teach, you lead the way you teach because you come from a specific cultural background and it's not universal. No, no, no. There are many different ways of doing it. So that's twice. Twice is about looking at yourself in the mirror, reflecting on how your culture impacts your teaching or leading, and then taking it forward to integrating your um, your students' cultures, uh, your school communities' cultures in the education that you deliver. Okay, so you're like a super busy lady because I feel like <laughs> that alone is probably enough work. <laughs> There's no boredom. There's no boredom. <laughs> right. And, and uh, you know, we alluded to this earlier, but you will be heading back to the continent, you and your family will be heading to Senegal. And so I imagine that puts you closer to more of those schools that you like to work and serve with, especially being on the continent. Is that the, is that what you're thinking is going to happen anyway? Yeah, well, I hope so. Um, at the International School of Dakar, I will find, I think, a very strong community. Uh, and uh, I will learn a lot from, you know, from the culture that is already there. And I have to say, my focus will first be to learn about the school and to grow, to grow roots there. And, um, I will try to continue my work with other schools at the same time, uh, you know, grow these synergies with Senegal 
and beyond mm -hmm. because I, I believe that uh, there's a lot that we can learn from teachers teaching in different contexts as us. And I hope that uh, this is the type of professional development that I can bring to ISD, uh, growing roots in Senegal and in Africa, as well as, you know, opening global wings. All right. So I can't let you go until I do something that I don't do consistent enough, but mm -hmm. I feel like you'd be really good for this. I call it my lightning round and I got three questions. You just have to respond off the top of your head. Mm -hmm. What you think is the best? No, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I always have to say, don't be scared. It's not that stressful. Okay. Okay. First question. If you had to introduce somebody to one Cameroonian dish, what would it be? Kepen kebaz, <laughs> which is, <laughs> this is a, the, the, the bafia dish. I come from bafia. And uh, this is a dish made out of maize, all right? Mm -hmm. And we eat it with uh, all sorts of different um, green vegetables, leafy vegetables, and uh, it's delicious. Everything in Cameroon is eaten with green, but you know that, right? <laughs> That's Dole, true. Eru, like... <laughs> Absolutely. Ah, there's, there's so many things that I could have said. Dole, of course. Aloko. <laughs> love Dole. I just, I went and saw my family and I was actually kind of sad because no Dole was made. Everything else was made. <laughs> Coconut rice. There was Eru, Gari, everything, but there was no Dole. And I was asked my, looked at my sister and said, next time. I'll be back. Yeah. I want Dole. <laughs> All right. Number two, let's flip it. Mm -hmm. If you're in Geneva, what's one thing you must absolutely do if you're visiting for the first time? Ooh, that's an excellent question. I think that you should come to my place, come to Dardani, <laughs> where the wine is. Where the wine flows. Okay, you, you already made that case earlier. <laughs> All right. Now, Geneva, Switzerland is so beautiful. You obviously want to go to the mountains. There's this beautiful site around Montreux with, all, with, with beautiful vineyards well overlooking the lake, uh, which is, uh, you know, something that you cannot miss. Generally speaking, I'm in love with the region of Montreux. Uh, wouldn't miss that part of Switzerland if you came. Final question. Because you are leaving Europe and you are returning to the African continent, what's one thing you look forward to moving back to Africa? Mm, fashion and fabrics. <laughs> the two and S. tailors. Uh -huh. <laughs> I am ready. Ready for God. that. <laughs> Man, that alone. Whew, I missed that life. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Estelle, thank you so much for coming to hang out on the podcast. Thank you, I'm, Amanda, for having me. I'm proud of myself that I'm like, okay, I got through what I wanted to at least get through, and I did it because I wasn't sure. I felt like you and I could probably go for four hours, but I'm like, they don't need four hours of this. Yes. We'll so, probably carry on once the podcast is over. That's what I was going to say. And I was going to say, worst case scenario, I can bring her back on and we can talk about other stuff. But <laughs> but mm. I, I am excited for the journey that you have coming forward. Thank um, you. As always, I put the contact information of each of our guests in the show notes and on the website. So if you would like to reach out to Estelle or you want to follow the work that she's doing, you can definitely visit us at theblackexpat.com or theglobalchatter.com and you can catch all of her social media. I will not make her recite it, but thank you once again for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you everybody for listening. You've just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, 
Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Ficcio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.